Hey, everybody, thanks for tuning in and checking out this power-packed and informative podcast episode. Uh, this is Mike Costello out in California. You may also know me from the Hunting Ain't Easy podcast, doing a lot of the podcasts with Hal now and really getting deep into communications and some of the strategy that we've got. Also on the episode coming up, we've got uh, Charles Whitwam, who you know very well, founder of HalCast and HalForWildlife.org. And then we've got Dan Gates, who's the founder and executive director for Coloradans for Responsible Wildlife Management. Dan holds and wears a lot of other hats in Colorado in the wildlife management and conservation and even regulatory and um, communication spaces with regards to hunting. He is leading the effort in Colorado to win and beat a ballot box biology initiative that could effectively redefine and completely change hunting in Colorado, if not North America. So there's a lot to unpack in this episode. We do cover quite a bit of ground, but most importantly is you're going to hear the under, hear the, the history of this ballot initiative and the successes that we've had so far in getting it delayed, introducing friction to it, and effectively making it more difficult for the anti-hunting industry to get traction and success with it. And then finally, how we're going to put together communications and grassroots strategies to win. And you're going to be a part of that. You're going to be a part of that both from the funding perspective, every dollar counts and every dollar is needed, but you're also going to be a part of it from the communications and messaging component and the grassroots strategy. This is a nationwide issue. This is not a Oshucks, Colorado, bummer for them issue. How many millions of us have preference points of some sort in Colorado? How many millions of us have thought about hunting or fishing in Colorado, past, present, and future? So we are all in this together. If we have a win in Colorado, we all win. If we have a loss in Colorado, we all lose. And worse yet, wildlife loses even more so. So listen in, unpack it all. Go to savethehuntcolorado.com to learn more online and to make your donation. Go to howforwildlife.org. Become a member for HAL, where advocacy is effective, efficient, and free. You don't have to be a member, but we do, we do love your membership. So please join howforwildlife.org. Let's get into the podcast. All right. Welcome to HowlCast. Uh, we've been long awaiting this podcast with Dan Gates of CRWM, Coloradans for Responsible Wildlife Management. Dan, introduce yourself. Well, um, I'm the executive director for the Coloradans for Responsible Wildlife Management. I am home-based in Canyon City, Colorado. I'm also the president, for whatever the hell it's worth, the president for the Colorado Trappers and Predator Hunters Association. And I sit on a plethora of different boards and committees and, and provide different functions at different levels on the collaborative efforts of what we're trying to do to hold hold the uh, ship in pieces and parts in the harbor uh, on the Colorado landscape. So we have you on this podcast to discuss what's going on in Colorado and really as far as this specific issue that started 
start us from the beginning because this is you know we might new listeners there might not people there might be people that don't know what's going on um start us from the beginning when this started and and lead us up to to where we are now so how we got to where we're at is um of course we've been fighting these type of issues for better than 30 years in Colorado in some capacity and as I often say, and if people have heard it before on another podcast or, or me talking in some capacity, some of it might become redundant. But uh, in 1992, I'll go all the way back, you know, there I was. But in 1992, uh, proponents of anti-bear hunting measures uh, b- helped ban the spring harvest of bears in the state of Colorado, including the use of hounds and bait and so now we were forced to to hunt bears in the fall with a spot and stalk no hounds no bait and then they capitalized on the success in 1996 and they and they moved into the trapping arena and uh wild earth guardians took up it was sanapu at the time uh, but they changed their name to wild earth guardians but they took up the the deal to ban uh, foothold traps body gripping devices and cable restraint de- devices in the state and it was a constitutional amendment and they were successful and there were some provisions there that we could actually keep some of the tools. We could still use cages on, on public or private land for recreational purposes. And, and if we wanted to do anything for foothold traps or any of the stuff that they banned, it had to be done with a 30-day exemption permit for agricultural damage, depredation, human health and safety, uh, habitat restoration, you know, just the, the, the normal science exceptions, some of which they're including in this new ballot measure that's coming up with Initiative 91 and, and 101. So you fast forward all the way up to 2020 from 96, and uh, they came back at the state to introduce wolves and put wolves on the ground. That passed by a very slim margin. And uh, here recently, about uh, five weeks ago, they actually completed their task and put the first 10 wolves on the ground. And uh, that's the first time that um, wolves or any endangered species have been put on the ground through a ballot measure. And uh, so our current gubernatorial administration likes to do first of everything. And uh, so they, they, they're that they champion that as a success to put apex predators back on the landscape, which we think in the long run, it'll probably be another failure, especially in the state where you don't have the tools in the toolbox. We don't have trapping. Right. Uh, we can't use some of the tools that the other states right. have, and they still got problems. Um, so fast forward to 2020. Well, I'll go back one, one year in, in 2019, they came to the Colorado Parks and Wildlife Commission to ban the harvest of bobcats with any measure, cage traps, shooting, uh, with the use of predator, predator calls and harvesting, you couldn't do anything. We beat them with the governor's own commission that he appointed, 11 to zero. And then in 2020, uh, during COVID, they came back again. Uh, we beat them again, 11 to zero. And then they came back in 21 after the wolf initiative passed, and they came back in 2021, and then they withdrew their petition to the commission, mm-hmm. figuring out that they would probably not get the results that they wanted, and they didn't want any more blood splatter on their on their paperwork. And so they withdrew it. 2022, they went to the Colorado State Legislature with Senate Bill 31 in February of 22 to ban the harvest of mountain lions and bobcats. And we were told that we would lose that four to one, and because of the showing that we put at the Capitol and and Charles, I'll mention that you actually flew out for that uh, four below zero that day. And we put 300 plus people at the Capitol and and we won four to one. So three times in a row, we kicked them to the curb three consecutive years. And then the fourth year, we kicked them to the curb at the legislature. 
now move up to September 22nd of 23, and they filed a ballot initiative, initiative number 91, that they call to prohibit trophy hunting. And uh, it's it's to it was to ban the harvest of bobcats, mountain lions, and lynx, even though lynx are state and federally protected in the lower 48. There's no harvest of lynx. So to get to where we sit right now, we immediately challenged those those uh, initial stages of initiative, initiative 91 through the proper channels of the Legislative Council, the title board, then a rehearing of the title board, and then, the, and then eventually the Supreme Court. At the same time that we, we were successful in changing some of the language of the title to our favor to take out trophy hunting, which is kind of a catchphrase that resonates with the general public a little bit better because it seems like to them that we're going out and cutting the head off of something and leaving the rest mm -hmm. to rot, which is could be nothing further from the truth. They filed another initiative called Initiative 101, and they changed a lot of their provisions in there and a lot of their ask and wishes, wants, and desires. And they utilized a lot of our uh, arguments that we used on 91 and incorporated it into 101, and uh, we most recently appealed all that stuff through the title board, through the rehearing. We got a few things uh, moved up and down and back and forth a little bit. We, did get, we didn't get trophy hunting out of there. They, instead of in the second line, they put it to the sixth and seventh line. And that's and, in 101. Uh, that's in, that's the in 101. Okay. Yep. And at the same time, 91 was sitting in the Supreme Court. Uh instead of allowing for a allowing for a two-week season at the end of December, and I'll get into that in a minute, instead of allowing for a two-week season, the wording that we got put in there was restricting to a two-week season. So it might not seem like seem like a big deal to the general public, but when you start talking about allowing versus restricting, or you take trophy hunting out of the second line and put it into the sixth line of a of an eleven uh title or line title. Uh, it, it goes in our favor, but it's not as good as what 91 was. The reason I wanted to mention the season, because they think that it's not a complete ban because they're allowing for the opportunity for a two-week season. But there's provisions in there that the commission has to allow it. Mm -hmm. So they can allow it during that time frame. But you couldn't use hounds. Uh, and if you did harvest something during that time frame, you could keep the meat off of a bobcat or a mountain lion, but all of the other parts had to be surrendered to Colorado Parks and Wildlife. So then you're not trophy hunting. Uh, yeah, it, it's a, it's a hunting ban. It's just a, the optics of that for the general public. Mm -hmm. uh, I don't think the general public's that ignorant, and once we get done messaging to them, I don't believe that they will be. Uh, but so that was all done on January third of 2024. The day after that rehearing on 101. The Supreme Court ruled on 91, and they agreed with us on the on the original title to take trophy hunting out of that one, but they did not agree, and they denied our appeal on the clarity of the language in the title and the single subject matter that we were appealing as well. So on January 4th, which we would have preferred it happened before the title board ruled on January 3rd, on on. Uh, initiative 90 or 101 on January 4th, the title for 91, the first one was affirmed, which then allows the opponents, the proponents of the measure, our opponents to go out and, and, and actually start gathering signatures if they so chose. 
They haven't done that yet. And, and the reason being is because that one is not near as favorable to them, even though they came up with it to start with. And we're waiting for the Supreme Court at this point in time to make the determination on our appeals. And if that second title of 101 would be affirmed, and we anticipate that that likely to happen probably somewhere in mid to late February, if not early March. The caveat to all that is that between now and March 22nd, the deadline to file an initiative, in theory, if they didn't like the way the landscape was playing out or the way their polls were coming up, or they didn't feel that they had as good of a chance with that, they could come back and throw another initiative at the wall and see what would stick. They have until March 22nd to be able to do that. What we're trying to do is leave no stone unturned. We're trying to make sure that we that we cross our T's and dot our I's and, and take every allowable uh, detour that we can possibly take and to delay, put us in the and, yeah and, and push them exactly push them as far as far out as possible. Exactly. And it's a strategy game right now. They they sure. are title shopping, but yeah. but we are we are we are playing the long game. It's kind of like I explained to a guy the other day. He said, Well, I don't understand why they would do that. And I said, well, look at a football game, and if you're ahead by six, and you don't want the other team to get the ball, and there's a minute and 42 seconds left, and you got three timeouts left, you want to turn around and get a first down, and you want to you want to snap the ball as many times as you can to get the clock done. That's, that's what we're right. hoping to do to some degree, but we know we're not going to be successful or highly likely not to be successful to keep it off of the ballot. It's just a matter of what are we going to deal with and what hurdles are we making them go through in the process. Long explanation of the last 30 some odd years, but it brings you up pretty close to where we are at today. That's what my yeah. home team, uh, the Detroit Lions, just did when they beat the LA Rams for uh, yeah. the first play. They run the clock out. <laughs> That's exactly what they did. <laughs> hey, go Grind back a second. the clock down. <laughs> go back a second and educate everybody because not everybody knows, not everybody's involved. Um, you have fought these battles at three different levels at least and but these are the three i have in mind the commission the legislature and then now a ballot initiative yes let everybody know what the difference is because i i do see some some confusion on um for instance some people have said call your call your senators call your congress <laughs> yeah right about this, about this ballot initiative so start with the commission what is that you know when you when you fight that what is the legislature and then what's a ballot initiative so the Colorado Parks and Wildlife Commission is a is a band of, of of eleven that was appointed by this governor. We originally had five, and then when we merged the commission of the park side with the wildlife side, then we ended up getting eleven. <clears throat> that was back in 2010, 2011. And so they're appointed by the governor. Anybody from the general public can petition that commission uh, for something positive or something that's negative. They can uh, petition for extension of a season or uh, leniency on on allocations or you know a variety of different things i mean we've had people want want petitions to be filed for three toed sloths so that they could own them because they would they would follow under uh, the parks and wildlife uh, regulations and department of ag regulations we've had stuff where people wanted to increase the the harvest limit on carp uh, and and uh, so they would go then to a citizen's petition if they so chose to do that. That's that's uh, where we feel sorry for commission staff. Yes, yes. <laughs> like, like I mean, they get so much bullshit. Yeah, <laughs> like, there's, no! there's, there's a bunch of stuff thrown at the wall for a variety of different reasons, and and that's what the and that's what the anti 
uh, hunters had done in 19 and 20 uh, and 21. It was, they filed that petition through the Parks and Wildlife Commission. Uh, they get the chance to give their argument. Staff would give their recommendation. Colorado Parks and Wildlife staff would give their recommendation. And then the general public who was opposed or for those sorts of measures would have the opportunity, excuse me, to go testify and uh, present their case. Mm -hmm. And sometimes that's a, a two to a three step process depending on what time and what chapter that you're opening and the regulations and so forth. So, so that's, that's, that's open to anybody that can do that at any specific time for any specific reason. Now it might not make it to that level. It could be denied and you wouldn't have to go through all the hoops and the hurdles, but, but there's an opportunity. The legislative side of things is where somebody like these individuals that were not successful at the commission would find a receptive legislator, go to them, likely a representative out of their district and uh, or that they've contributed to in some capacity to, you know, there's a little bit of not favoritism, but just uh, acknowledgement of, of, of people on the landscape or organizations on the landscape. They come there with language. They say that we would like to see this happen. It's not in our favor uh, to go to, to the commission again. And uh, we would like you to address this. Mm -hmm. uh, very seldom has the legislature engaged in things wildlife related unless there was an agenda to be had from some legislators. And the reason being is because a lot of times they'll send it back to the commission or say, you should go that direction. That's why the commission is there. However, most recently, since 2018, when this governor was elected, who is a uh, animal rights uh, individual himself, but his, his husband is an animal rights extremist. And Mr. Marlon Reese, uh, is not afraid to say that. I mean, he is he's a vegan. He's not a vegetarian. Um, he, he is anti-animal use. Now, I'm not talking about anti-animal consumption. I'm talking about anti-animal use. They tried to run a livestock deal here, like what they did in Oregon, to try to get that thing done. IP3, I think, of what it was. And, and so they would prefer you not to eat beef. They would prefer you not to have chickens. They'd prefer you not to go to a zoo or a rodeo or a circus or, or anything along the lines of that. And they haven't gotten into dogs or cats to that to that specific level yet. But there's there's not favoritism uh, from that side toward the agriculture or the sporting community. So anyway, uh, people people have the opportunity to go through that that measure, and uh, then it goes through different committees, and then it goes through you know the House or the Senate, depending on what it started in. And if it gains any traction, there might be some amendments to it, and they might figure out what to do to modify it to where it'd be more palatable. Uh, the problem with that process there is that once it goes to that level, because this Colorado Parks and Wildlife is an enterprise agency, they work at the pleasure of the governor, but they're independent. But the governor pretty much has told them when to talk and when not to talk. And I've made those comments publicly. And, it, and it's frustrating to have CPW staff sitting in the audience of a, of a committee meeting, and they don't say anything. They don't get up to testify. And when they're asked by the legislators, whether they're senators or representatives, why isn't CPW saying anything? And they just sit there polite to watch the fireworks, but not to actually light any fuses on them. And I'm, I'm, I'm. The legislature knows why though. They know uh, they've been choked back. Yeah. Yeah. But sadly enough in Colorado, for those that don't know, we are, we're a very blue state. Mm -hmm. um, and I don't want to get into partisan or bipartisan politics here, but, but there needs to be color in the crayon box. And right now we have mostly blue and, and it's multiple shades of blue. We have 49 to 16 uh, Democrats versus Republicans in the House and 23 to 12 in the Senate. 
So no matter what happens, we really, really, really have to turn around and push and poke and prod the Democrat side to get them to understand the facts and the data and the statistics, because Colorado Parks and Wildlife is not going to come out and say anything unless it has something to do with their specific full-time employees that they're requesting or budgetary issues or maybe some bill that's going to you know, be, be in favor by the governor. Um, they might be able to turn around and testify on that. But when it's controversial stuff or things that the governor and his spouse uh, don't really stand behind, uh, Parks and Wildlife so far in the last six years since this governor was elected have not been allowed to speak in any capacity. So why, so on paper, we would have lost in the Senate committee for this, and we would have lost, yes. would have lost in the broad legislature. Um, but the legislature eventually, they're all politicians. They all want votes. Yeah. And so there's a point at which they do kind of do a gut check on what's politi politically favorable to them that day, that week, that year. Why did we, why did we succeed in stopping this at a committee level? when it was presented to the legislature, given that on paper and look at the political divide, it should have, it, you would think it was going to be a slam dunk for the anti-hunters. A couple of reasons at that level. Uh, first and foremost, I think, because we had a precedent of three consecutive times at the Parks and Wildlife Commission. Okay. And, and so that set the level. I mean, those are appointed by the governor. Right. And and they made the choice to turn around and, and, and not move that forward. I think that was the number one deal. The number two deal was that there was so much outcry from our side that we mm -hmm. rallied the troops on that there was multiple legislators that were co-signers, co-sponsors of that first bill, Senate Bill 31, that withdrew their names. Now, we only had about a two-week window. It's the Remember first that. day of the session that came out January 13th of 2022, and they dropped that bill. I mean, they they turn around and 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 then you know initiated it, but was that grassroots hearing, was that grassroots effort new and a surprise to the anti hunters, or was it new and a surprise to us? Was it was it? I'm just wondering, was there a turning point there within the the broad community that made something more effective? The turning point was, and I don't want to act like I put myself on a pedestal, but I made over 1,300 phone calls in a two week period. And those that I couldn't shame into it, I threatened into it. Yeah. And I got to, I got them over to the Capitol. The thing that we put more people on the Capitol two days before and they were on the day of, it was four below zero. And yeah. lion hunters called and said, oh, wait a minute. We got fresh tracks and there's snow on the ground and we're going lion hunting. If they're going to ban it, we're going to go get it. We're going to go get it. Yeah. And, uh, and, and that made me think. Well, maybe we don't have as strong as a as a um, alliance and a coalition as what we could possibly have. But the turning point was the fact that we we put so much pressure before, during, and even polite pressure afterwards mm -hmm. that I think that we made a substantial uh, push and a stand on it. And one thing I got to say is, you know, the Coloradans for Responsible Wildlife Management is the only organization in the state that has full time lobbying representation at the Capitol. So we had representation all the time, uh, mm -hmm. you know, 2022, 2021, 2020, 2019, 2018. Uh, that's when we hired our first lobbyist. So we had a presence. Our our logo was present. Our, our capital had been expanded significantly at the capital. Mm -hmm. And uh, and because of the, the organization that was uh, that was formed on the eve of Senate Bill 31, which was the Colorado Wildlife Conservation Project that I'm the vice chair of. 
we've got 22, 23 different organizations, national, regional, and local organizations that are part of that. Gaspar Pericone is the chair, but he and I helped form, formulate that. And, uh, you know, we talked to you guys, uh, Charles, uh, back during that process. Uh, you guys had, you know, just recently formulated um, in that in that time frame. And uh, so you got to see something, not so much that wasn't planned. It's just that we had a hell of a time trying to get it together. But what I will yeah. say is when we went to the commission in 19, before COVID, we put 350 people in a commission meeting. Uh, yeah. at, a, at a courtyard Marriott in, in Grand Junction, Colorado. And I kept telling them, we need more room. And they said, ah, yeah, but you know, what are you going to put, 30, 40 people? I said, we need more room. And they got more room. And I said, we need more room. And they got more room. And I said, we need more room. And we put 350 some odd people there. And, uh, you know, when when people show up yep. in, a, in a polite, professional, civil manner with a level of a decorum and integrity uh, and show concern, legislators and commissioners are likely to side on the people that voice the voice of reason. If you come yeah. in there with pitchforks and sickles and Buffalo hats, uh, uh, you're probably not, you're not probably going to get as much out of that as what you would if you're doing it the way we've done it. Yeah. yeah. Uh, so the, the, right, with so the bear, with the bear issues here in California, um, it was, uh, it was amazing because we, we came in with what you just said, uh, value statements, you know, well-spoken, no hysteria. And it was, it was as it, as it, the tide started to shift in favor of supporting the bear hunt here, it was the anti-hunters that started coming unhinged yep. and, and you could just see the commission just immediately turn against them. Like, like they just, they just tore them apart for being mm -hmm. completely unhinged and not having, you know, a, a, a good conversation. Um, I, I, I want to mention Showing up something. with your values, showing up with your values yeah. is so valuable um in the commission in the senate and then also now with a ballot box thing we got to do it with our neighbors and, what, and to, show the, friends. to show the deceit and the smoke and mirrors campaign that these guys have pulled over the course of the last you know 10 or 15 or 20 years it's the same old thing that they pull but th but they made this they made this uh uh demonstration where they had like 15 young people walk in with big giant stacks of of Xerox paper and they all had these things and they brought them and they put them in individual seats at the front of the room in front of 350 people. And I mean, it was like this parade. They all marched in there very quietly and meticulously. And we're thinking, what the hell? And when they got up and testified for the first time, they talked about these, are, these are, these are part of a petition from change.org. And we have 204,538 signatures. Right. And it was, it was, a, it was pretty damn close to that. And, and and we are voicing our concerns for bobcats in the state of Colorado and blah, 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 blah. And I never heard of change.org at that point. I mean, I didn't know what the hell it was. So I'm sitting there in the front and I'm looking like, what the hell is change.org? What's change.org? And, and so I look up on my phone and they get up and they do their presentation. And there was a, there was a deal on the side of change.org that said Colorado residents. And out of 204,538, it was like 5,400 that were Colorado residents. And so... Right. When I got up to testify, when I was luckily last, I said, boy, it's pretty impressive. You know, they, they went over there and they killed as many trees to turn around and bring all that stuff in here to show you guys actually who put their name on this. But I said, there's there's people on here from Belize and New Hampshire and Nova Scotia and Iran and, you know, wherever the hell they were coming from. And I said, but the fact of the matter is, it's not really true that they've got they've got facts and data of 204,000 people, but they're not from maybe even this planet. 
But yeah. if we're going to start listening to people, what they have their opinions based upon all, all over the world and what we're going to do here, then we're not doing sound science wildlife management. And that was that was one of the turning points at that point in time. And the, I think it opened the, the eyes of some commissioners. And that's the same sort of stuff that we did at the legislature mm-hmm. as we opened the eyes of the, the legislators on the Senate Ag Committee because we showed them the facts and the data because we knew that Parks and Wildlife wasn't going to be allowed to, to turn around and provide that. Mm-hmm. The problem that we get into at this landscape is now we have to turn around and deal with probably roughly somewhere in the neighborhood of 3 million people with a ballot initiative that anybody could turn around and do. They could put a ballot initiative together and they can, they can, you know, stop the sale of Coors beer or they can stop Uber drivers on Saturday night, or they could stop, you know, Canadians from coming into the Denver city limits. They got to go through the title board. They got to match the language. But once yeah. they do that, if they get the signatures, they can put a, they can put a, a ballot initiative together for anything. And we're at a point now to where our message is going to have to be succinct, direct, concise, and spot on through the whole process once we get into messaging to that target audience. And uh, right now we're just messaging to the stakeholder, to the hook and bullet crowd, to the hunting community mm-hmm. to say, the devil is at the door and he's got his dragon with him. And we're trying to make sure that we that we put the fire out of the dragon and we take the horns off the devil because yeah. we think that if we can stop him at this level, not only can we stop him in Colorado, but we can help stop him in other states as well. Yeah, absolutely. Um, they're going to expend a lot of resources on this. And if they lose, you know, my in all states, my, my goal is that the more they lose, the more they realize this is not the industry to chase. You yeah. know, they've got their lawyers teamed up. Um, they, they fundraise nationally. And that's something that that we'll probably get into later in the call is, yeah, the it, it, a couple of things. Man, my head's spinning. I got so many things to <laughs> ask you about. Okay, one thing I want to clarify: you said the governor's husband is an animal rights extremist. Yes. I I don't I don't like to bless that group this this anti hunting industry with with the phrase that they are animal rights extremists because they're not you know they're 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 willing to art, trade lives you know one mountain lion 40 deer a year you know uh, five wolves 20 30 elk a year yeah you know, they're they're not saving lives and so i don't view them as animal rights extremists because they're not really saving animals lives in my view i i think that they're it's an anti-hunting industry now the governor's husband the governor may have very animal-centric concepts but the industry that we're against, the money machine, the legal machine that we're against, to me, it's an industry that is framed around stopping people from doing intrinsically human activities. I don't disagree. Um, but as much as they've put their nose into all all issues related to animals, whether it's domestic or wild, um, they consider themselves to be animal welfare advocates. Yeah. Right. And and there's a difference in the in the in the reason that we've classified it as that because the general public, we believe, and the polls have kind of proven this, the difference between animal welfare and animal rights, uh, activists, extremists, or whatever, mm-hmm. resonates well enough with our talking points, whereas they're trying to bring their talking points that we're animal welfare advocates. Well, the general public's not a bunch of idiots. They fully understand the difference between the two. And while I would agree with you uh, about that that perspective and that concept, 
the general public that we're talking to are getting told one thing that we love animals and we, you know, we, we cherish animals. Well, they, they do in their own way, mm-hmm. but, but what they would really like to do is just take all people off of the landscape and let animals fend for themselves. And right. They, and, and, you know, to back up just one spot, you know, we just did the international sportsman's expo over the weekend and there was a, there's a Raptor, uh, uh, educator that was there, several of them, but one that I dealt with at Outdoorsman Days that we have down in Florence, Colorado, and she was there, and, and she said, can you help me figure out what we can do to help prop up our side of things? Because now they're wanting to hit us up because we're allowing these birds to hunt to feed themselves. Now, we have to have a small game license to go do that because they are hunting birds. They're not just birds that that you know sit on there because they got a broken wing and, and somebody hit them with a truck or they fell off a power line. These are hunting birds. Now they're hitting us up because we're allowing to, them to hunt to feed themselves, and they and they're trying to shut us down. And I'm like, well, that's the problem. It'll never stop. They don't right. even want wildlife to eat wildlife <laughs> because wildlife has some sort of interaction with people. And and so, you know, when it's when it's really going to come down to it, I would I would bet money that if the first gentleman or any of his counterparts actually got to see a wolf mm-hmm. jerk a baby calf out of an elk mm-hmm. or turn around and, and and kill a cow in the process i think that their minds would maybe not change but their perception would be altered in what needed to happen because you magnify that times 10 yeah 20 50 or 100 uh Everybody loves babies. Everybody loves fawns and everybody loves calves and everybody loves kittens and pups. And as soon as you start allowing, including hunters, including hunters, as soon as you allow that to start happening and be seen on the landscape and be more and more, uh, the norm people's perceptions are going to change to some degree, because especially when you look at, you know, look, I'm, I'm a wildlife control operator. I mean, I, I run a wildlife human animal conflict control business and have done for the last 37 years. Educating my my customer is part of my business. Mm-hmm. Most of them have have such a heart. They don't want anything to suffer, but they don't like it when stuff is ganged up on and something mm-hmm. suffers. And I think that if you look at the wolf side of things, there's more of an opportunity for wolves to gang on something and it's different than mountain lions mountain lions were taking the hunting out of it you were bringing wolves in but mountain lions are single prey animals they go out and you know you might get a a, a lioness with kittens that actually tries to harvest something but they but they ambush and they stalk they don't Mm -hmm. turn around and run everything to a corner and then 15 or 18 or 20 of them jump onto something that's where it's a difference in my opinion of the staunch what i would consider left-wing wolf wolf activist that they're mm-hmm. they're okay with all that, but the average person, they don't like to see stuff ganged yeah, up on and ripped it out. Whether it's most, a wild dog or or most a people are going to cringe. Most people yeah. are going to cringe at that. I mean, yeah. even they, even I mean, everybody's going to cringe at that. It's just like that's hard to yeah. see. It's yeah. real. It's very real. It's it's very it's, real. It's, it's hard to see, but it's it's as real as it is. It's not what's on people's mind when they're making a three second decision on whether or not they agree with you know what's in their voting pamphlet, they were which is why, of course, out. ballot box biology is terrible. 
yeah terrible because it's just it's the it's i look at like there's commissions they move slow they're flexible over time they say slowly migrate with political will because the the way they're appointed but their decisions at the commission level are reversible it's easy to reverse a decision at the commission level as you move towards legislative and then ballot box those decisions can be made very quickly with less and less data less and less information and they're almost impossible to reverse which is why all of this should just be in the commission if if you know if if we could have our way um instead of the ballot box what so, happens that between so between now and march we believe that right. one of these initiatives will be that will have passed their 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 survey their their whatever focus grouping and they'll have decided on one another or they'll brought forth another one so sometime after mid-march hopefully five six weeks from now or later they have an initiative in hand and they can start going out and they have to get they have to get signatures they've got 180 then, days to get signatures from the time that the title is affirmed so okay. the one that was affirmed 91 that was affirmed on january 4th mm -hmm. essentially they're burning time right now because they have not started gathering signatures on it uh I, that's why we think that they're prolonging the the, the effort to hope that they get affirmed 101 and they could, then they have 180 days from that time frame to start gathering signatures. It's almost six months. Yeah, it's 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 so unlikely that they're going to try to gather signatures on both of them. I mean, it it it, it defeats the purpose. There's no sense sure. in them doing that. Not to mention the cost, whether it's a volunteer signature gathering process or a paid signature gathering process. It, either way, it's going to be time time consuming and costly. Uh, now now they've got 180 days up until having the time frame of August 5th, which is 90 days before, excuse me, before the ballot, uh, the voters would go to the ballot, to, to the polls on November 5th. So they've got 90 days that they have to meet that guideline because we start got early it. voting through mail-in stuff on October 5th. So they got to have the time to be able to certify the signatures mm -hmm. to the secretary of state's office, make sure everybody's a legal voter, make sure all this, the, 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 the I's are dotted and T's are crossed. Mm -hmm. At that point, we could challenge. Uh, there's a certification process that we could challenge. And, and it depends on how the uh, algorithms come out and what it actually looks like in the, in the, they don't count every single signature, but the, but the interesting thing about that is they need 124,238 signatures it's likely that they'll try to get 180 or 190,000 to right. make sure that they pass muster on getting the 124,000. So they have to lock it up in August. Yeah. But they have 180. So they're really, their window of time, by the time you get to mid February, their 180 days is getting shorter day for a day as you get closer. Yeah. yeah. And so if, and, and so the longer, the more, which is why, CRWM, you and the, the teams that you've got, you know, engaged for this at significant cost have been fighting this at every juncture possible to create those delays and create that friction for this thing. Exactly. Exactly. We, we, when, when this dropped in, in September of 23, we had essentially two weeks to mobilize. Now okay. I say that tongue in cheek because we'd already been in preliminary conversations with the team that we had eventually hired and built up because we knew that something was in the jungle. We knew that we knew that, you know, that the wind was blowing in a favorable position for the opposition. 
Mm-hmm. Um, and, and and because of some things that happened earlier in the year with other attorneys and so forth, we knew that it was going to happen. We just didn't know when. Mm-hmm. I mean, because they essentially have till March 22nd. Mm-hmm. So they could have waited until March 21st to drop something. But but they they got on the horn and they decided to do it sooner than later to where they could go through all these processes. What I think we surprised the crap out of them on mm-hmm. is that they didn't expect us to be fully armed enough that when they dropped the initiative at 4.58 on a Friday afternoon, <laughs> which which nonetheless was my birthday, and I don't think that that was anything other than utter coincidence. They love but, you. They love yeah, you. Yeah, and I was named in a lawsuit that day, too. Right. Uh, and uh, so, happy <laughs> birthday. And we were ready to turn around and engage right off the bat, if necessary, through the legislative council, which is required for them to go through, and through the process of the title board uh, hearings. That you only had a two-week window to do that. Most organizations weren't fully capable of doing that because they are 501c3 organizations. We are a C4. We have a a little bit better opportunity to mobilize if we were paying attention, which we were. And uh, and it put us in a a very uh, favorable position. And I think it put the opposition in in a precarious position because I don't think that they thought, based upon what we observed in the first hearing, I don't think that they thought that anybody was going to oppose this. I think that they thought that they were going to do what they did during the wolf issue. Mm-hmm. And they would just, not, not the same people did it, but but the same process, that they would just run roughshod and get done what they wanted to do because nobody knew that anything was happening. They were, it was like an ambush. It was early. Yeah. And uh, and we we didn't take it to that. I mean, we, we figured that we'd mobilize, we'd activate, and uh, we pulled all the stops out. And it cost us significant money. If anybody thinks that this process at any level, is uh, inexpensive, uh, significant money. And uh, and then when you do two of them at the same time, and then you do your polling, and you've got your attorneys and the Supreme Court and all the other caveats, it's, it's significant money. Yeah, this is the arena, though, like this is and this is what hunters don't like. We don't we don't like, oh, we don't want to get involved in that. Like, this is the arena. Like, if you're not suited up to do battle in the arena you're you're giving up the arena and you're losing and so kudos to you guys for being ready this is this is what every state um we we need to you know different podcasts but i mean that's why howl exists and we want to we want to get to where this can be done nationally when when the dime drops we're ready to go but i think when people say i know you people are reaching out to you a lot like, what do we do? What are you doing? What's happening? You know, it's hard to get clear information. The fact is, is that you and the teams that need to be engaged in this have been engaged in it. And there's a reason it's not, they're already not out getting signatures. And yeah. so we've already had, it's not victory. We've had battles won along the way. Um, Charles, you've got a question. I keep running over you. Sorry. Sorry. Um, you guys talk a lot, man. Uh, okay. Well, it's one thing I really appreciate about Colorado and with with my involvement in other states is your level of organization and being able to stay on top of things. Um, that is severely lacking in a multiple mul- in, in multiple states, and I I really appreciate any type of involvement when when we have involvement with um, with what's going on in Colorado because I can always pick up the phone and find out exactly what's going on. That goes a long way. Um, so just to kind of people recap, would. just to recap, <laughs> just ask like pick up yeah. the phone and ask for for commission um, decisions. The de- just for the the audience, 
the decision makers of the commission. So you go to the commission for that, for legislative actions. You go to your legislators. This is a ballot initiative. This is the general populace, the voting, the voting public who's going to, going to be deciding uh, wildlife management, which is in and of itself is an issue, is a problem. Um, you know, it, it's, it's taking something as serious and as high level as wildlife management in North America, where we have biologists um, who are, you know, they have their PhDs, they have their, they're, they're very skilled, they're very educated folks. And we're basically saying, because you've won in the commission, because you've won in the legislature, in the legislature, um, we're basically saying, well, the experts, their, their advice, their recommendations, their studies, their careers that are based on this, it no longer matters. And it now comes down to how much money can we spend to persuade the public into thinking this way or that way? That to me is, I, I look at that and I, I can't find a comparable, I don't know where to compare that to, but I, you know, I think about a, a, a medical board. We don't do that with brain surgery. You know, we don't bring that to the public and say, Hey public, um, how should we be performing, uh, you know, such and such surgery, brain surgery. We don't do that at all. Why is it in this case, when it comes to wildlife management, that people think it's okay? I mean, to me, it's a slap in the face to to everybody. It's a, it's it's an insult. It's it's uh, it's just. I don't know if we look at it at that at that level, but how come we don't look at it at that level? And how come these groups are allowed um, to to kind of continually get away with that type of that type of exercise where it basically just comes down to money and we just got to fool the public into thinking the way we we want them to think um what does that mean for wildlife management when we have ballot box biology i guess is what it what it would be called well look everybody's got an opinion and when you start dealing, dealing with emotional stuff um, I, I really honestly believe that tugging on the heartstrings, people think that they need to have a voice on a variety of different, different things. And I don't care whether it's, I mean, you, you, for an example, look at, look at initiative 91 and 101. I don't know what they're up to now, but those are initiatives that have been pushed to attempt to get on the 2024 ballot. That means we're over a hundred. Now, not all of them went through title board. A hundred, a hundred potential initiatives. Yeah, I mean, and oh, we might geez. be very well at one hundred and ten, or one hundred and fifteen, or one hundred and twenty at this point in time. I don't, I don't know. These numbers that are given to these initiatives will not be the numbers that are actually on the ballot because they will renumber them starting off. But these are proposed initiatives. But we have a hundred. When we got into this conversation early on, I remember seeing an abortion initiative. And then I saw another abortion initiative and I saw another one. I was like, how the hell can there be like five or six? Well, because they're title shopping and they're looking at which one is, is going to resonate the best, which one will the title board actually agree with and, and, and which one can they walk home with? Uh, so not all of them are going to make it, but, but you're likely in this legis in, in this ballot season, you're likely to see what I would guess somewhere in the neighborhood of, of a 10 to 20 different ballot initiatives that we're going to be able to vote on what it does for wildlife management. I I think is it takes a key component of the step of the process out. When you look at science 
base wildlife management. There's 350 some odd scientists, uh, biologists, degreed wildlife experts within Colorado Parks and Wildlife of 900 or 1,000 employees. There's people that that are in, in the administration side, uh, the facilitation side, the boots on the ground side. Every game warden in the state of Colorado is a biologist. They have a degree. They're not wow. just law enforcement. They're not just, you know. And they're biologists. They're, yeah, and, they, and, they're, and they're biologists. I mean, we have experts, boots on the ground experts, that I would like them to figure out what's best for our natural resources and our 961 species of wildlife. Mm -hmm. We've got 78 game species in the state. We've got a plethora of, of non-game species, and we've got a bunch of endangered and threatened species. And those biologists, those scientists, should be making the decisions on that. What the hell do we think about our system if we don't allow the facts and the data to be supplied for people to make decisions that need to be made about science-based wildlife management. You know, I say this tongue-in-cheek, but I see YouTube videos of people's ring doorbells. Oh, mm. look at the mountain lion that was in this neighborhood. And then they get to looking and somebody does a little bit of investigative reporting and it's a big tabby cat. Or or <laughs> or, or look at look at this, look at this, you know, this uh wolf, red wolf and it turns out to be a red fox. A fox. Look at look at this gray fox, and it turns out to be a red fox. Look at this gray right. fox, it turns out to be a swift fox. People can't even identify stuff. And I say this wholeheartedly because we make phone calls to news stations on a regular basis. Mm -hmm. When you got the newscast sitting there, and there's some bighorn sheep on the cliff crossing the road, going up Georgetown through the canyon or something, and they and they say, Look at the mountain goats. Look at all these mountain goats. And I'm thinking. Yeah. You're you're reporting the news. It's the bighorn sheep is our state animal, right? And you're misidentifying them as mountain goats, and you're telling the general public, and there'll be, and then you'll hear through the, and then they believe the, it. The, yeah, and you'll like, hear well, through the broadcast. Oh, we did get a we did get a report from a wildlife expert that said that those weren't mountain goats; those were bighorn sheep. So, and so and how thinking, how do we make this not about mountain lions? But how do we get the general? How do we get the the average? voting person to say i'm not qualified like i love mountain lions but i'm not qualified how do we get and is that a tactic to get the average middle 80 percent they don't hunt they love to go in the mountains they love to see wildlife to get them to say i'm not gonna put my emotions on this paper because i'm not qualified there's professionals there's this system that works i'm out like how do we get that is that is that an approach to use I think it's an approach to use to some degree, especially in this in this setting. You can't talk to everybody, but the other thing is, and I'm learning through the process of this because I'm not a road scholar when it comes to you know ballot box biology and and, and how to fight it and how to implement mm -hmm. process and procedure because it is a tangled web. You know, Charles, you made you made a good analogy about you know brain surgery. Well, I don't I don't want the pool boy doing brain surgery on me if I have a tumor. And and I don't want the I don't want the, the the gal that works at McDonald's doing a vasectomy on it if if I want to, if I want a vasectomy, uh, I, you know I, I don't want the flower flower shop gal uh, operating on my dog. I mean that's why we have veterinarians. Yeah. Uh, there's experts in in different fields, and and I think that we need to recognize just how important the experts are. We don't have now sometimes sometimes it might seem like. 
the guy that bags groceries at the supermarket is planning our roads and bridges, depending on how they're laid out and what they have to do. But, but, uh, but I would just as soon have the experts uh, do all perfect, of that. Not a perfect process. Yeah. Yeah. Sure. You know, now, now, and the other thing about the other thing about wildlife I want to mention is that wildlife is a changing landscape in itself mm-hmm. because of a variety of different things, habitat loss, disease, predation, urban sprawl, roadkill, climate change, you know, drought, uh, fire. I mean, there's a lot of stuff that goes into wildlife management, especially when you're talking about sustaining 961 species of wildlife and having a game agency that manages 78 that can be harvestable mm-hmm. by sportsmen and women and, and the hook and bullet crowd. Mm-hmm. Uh, that in itself causes them to have to be adaptive, to have to be nimble, but also stay the course in their studies and their documentation and their models and their objectives because you can't make rash decisions on something that just happened one time, one winter, one summer, one disease. You have to be able to adapt and and process that information over time because you're looking at populations and sustainable resources for the long term, for the future, in perpetuity. And and what what the general public does is knee jerk. Oh, I get to check a box. I just fixed it. You didn't right. fix squat. No, you they didn't do anything. They usually make it I, frequently. They make it worse and they make it more complicated. And they and then they kick it over to attorneys. Yeah. Um, who make millions of dollars off of it for the, for, you know, the rest of their lives for one, one way or another. What, so there's before the, before they're doing petition, before they're gathering signatures, we're in that phase right now. We know this is coming. There's a period of time where they're out there gathering signatures and they have to get that done. And there's a time where it's on the ballot. Like it's, it is a votable item. Mm -hmm. What, and my guess is the team that you've got together has this segment where there's different strategies to employ obviously behind the scenes legal wrangling friction is working in that regard what can we as a community as hunters as individuals as wildlife advocates that believe conservation should be decided at the commission level through science what can we do in each of these three stages to build a successful campaign or execute a successful campaign as individuals, as corporates, as other NGOs, like what do we need to be doing? Because I think a lot of people are like, I want to react, I want to share something, I want to do something. But what can I? What can we be doing today in that middle section where they're getting signatures, and then once it's on the ballot? Well, it's too late for what I would like to see our community do. And the social media side of stuff is probably the damning deal of what all wildlife management is going to have to incur at some level. Because between the videos and the photographs out there, you can't tell that story about science-based wildlife management. You can't tell that story about the North American model of wildlife conservation when somebody has shown the images that you see on social media that everybody thinks that they need to brag on. I think that that's 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 the first that's the first problem that got us to here. That's not going to fix the problem. But Which image is that? Because I can find drunk driving car crash pictures oh, yeah. on, on yeah. All, if I if but I that's... want to, and I don't. It doesn't deter me from from driving. Are you talking about like what? Because I know there's some train wreck videos out there where things go wrong. Yeah. In a hunt, things go wrong, and that's going to be out there. But at the same time, there are videos of of wild, you know, of good hunts, of good harvests, 
But the you problem, put, the problem put, with that is putting the meat up on the on the you know I I eat this etc. What's what's the what do we need to avoid? Well, I I think, and I said this in another podcast earlier in the week. No matter what we do, the intent is to kill. We are taking a life. Sure. And and, and some people cannot comprehend that one way, shape, or form mm-hmm. for any reason. Mm-hmm. Uh, and and our intent is to go out. Now, not a, not all of us are successful. If you look at the elk population and look at the elk hunters, I think in Colorado, our elk, elk success rates are around nine percent. If we were if we were you know the guy cocaine man, we would starve to death. Uh, because we'd have a five day season to be able to go out and, and pursue our game and, and be able to get it. But but we kill stuff. Mm-hmm. If we don't, we try to. And the average person can't put the economic side and the science-based wildlife management side and the history and the tradition and the heritage side in the same category as the killing side. Now, that middle of the road group that we always talk about, whether it's mm-hmm. 60 or 70 percent, you got anti-hunting and pro-hunting on one side or the other, and then you got the middle of the road or we think that they're the middle of the road. Mm-hmm. They're not dumb, but it's really tough to turn around and look at stuff when somebody didn't do it tastefully or something went wrong. And those are the images that that remain in people's heads. They see a mountain lion being shot by, you know, three arrows and it falls yeah. out, blood dripping out of it, running out of it. It hits the ground, runs through the snow. The dogs are on its ass. To to somebody, and that's not that's not tasteful. I mean, it's part of it's part of a hunt, and I'm not saying it's all beauty, but, right? But they don't see the before, the during, and the after. They see the sensationalism of that minute and a half video that was put up there, and that sort of crap has hurt us for the course of the last twenty years. Sure. And to counter that, to counter that, our community has to do a better job of education. And sure. I'm not just talking about the sportsmen and women. I'm talking about the organizations. Yeah, I've had these conversations as you as you guys have with all the acronym groups that are out there: RMEF, NWTF, Muley Fanatics, you know, yep. uh, MDF, and all of them. And th- they're partners in this. They're partners in this effort. Yeah, they're partners on the landscape. They do the yeoman's work. You know that that we don't do. We don't do habitat restoration. We don't f- pull fences. I say this often. We don't. We don't do wild game counts. We fight and we advocate and we educate. Yep. They do some of that, fight and educate, but they do it to their members typically. They don't do it yeah. to the general public until there comes a time like this, and they haven't done a very good job of it doing it to the general public because that's not their model. They haven't, they weren't created 30, 40, 50 years ago. And if anybody hears me say this repeatedly, I apologize for being redundant. But 30, 40, 50 years ago, they came up with a mission. And they didn't think they were going to have to get someplace 40 years down the road where everybody was trying to take everything away from them. And then they had to revamp their entire model. Right. They don't do a very good job of educating their their members, except for exactly on what they do. Ask 10 sportsmen in the room. We go to, we're going to the sheep show. I leave tomorrow. We go to the shot show next week. I'll see you guys. Let's get 10 people aside just for shits and giggles. And ask I them. I know what you're going to say. <laughs> yeah, ask them what the seven tenets of the North American model of wildlife conservation are. Yeah, I bet they. Yeah. I bet the majority can't tell us three. Yeah, and they they can't recite the this the Bill of Rights either. But they know they have a right to speak. Um, and, and they, and they just, don't know the Ten Commandments. And but, they don't know but, the Ten but, Commandments. But they. And so I think I I agree with you. So. I know what I want to say on this. I, I think this is about money. Like my view is there needs to be a, 
a war chest of money to fund the professional strategists like the legal team you've got right now yep. that are that are creating these delays. And I think we need every hunter in Colorado to hang a hundred door hangers and talk to their neighbors and coworkers and family and friends. Because my guess is there's a lot of people that go into downtown Denver that hunt and every way they come in contact with has no idea that they hunt, has no idea what their value set is in the world of hunting. And so to me, like, and, and I think it's going to be, the NGOs, the orgs are going to all help in their own way, some massively, like, you know, by supporting fundraising efforts and whatnot and activating groups and communities. Um, and we're going to need that. But I just, I feel, I, you know, I, I feel like the average, when the average person knows that their neighbor does something and they like their neighbor and that their neighbor has a value set that is important to them they are less likely to just check a box that takes something away from their neighbor. And I, and I feel like these things happen where you get into the four counties where these decisions get made in Colorado and too many people don't know that they are adjacent to, or they, they, that they have somebody in their circle that it, this is important to. And we just, we, we, we voice it to ourselves, but we don't figure out how to communicate it to the neighbor. No, and is, that, I, is there value in that? There's value in that. But the thing that I think that there's more value in is what can you do? And this is proven. And I, okay. Uh, it, what can you do to convince the target audience that that middle of the range voter, the 18 to 34 year old or the 38 year old? Yep. What hunting and fishing and conservation does that they benefit off of? Okay. Because we are a bunch of selfish sons of bitches. We, we all want what we want. We want instant gratification. That's what, what do you do? Yeah. Okay. What do oh, you do? Well, just humans. Humans yes. are selfish. And yes. so what's in it yeah. for them yeah. in, this, in this whole system of wildlife management? Yeah. How do they benefit? Because that's, because that's a great point. I, I agree that I agree that, that, yeah, I don't want to take anything away from my neighbor. But if it doesn't really affect me, okay. what do I care? But if the neighbor tells me what benefit it provides to me, I saw elk. Okay. Oh well, did you know that? Did you know that that we have the largest elk herd in the world? Do you know that that fifty eight percent of all money generated for Colorado Parks and Wildlife is provided by non resident elk licenses? I mean, there's there's some components there that we could do to educate. But yeah. But as you guys well know, just from the media that we've seen in the last couple of days, we don't want every single sportsman out there turning around and trying to convince somebody because. <laughs> I've seen enough no. guys that that are like that that bare that bare chested guy in a trailer park after a tornado went through, and that's where the media goes to to turn around and talk to. That's mm -hmm. not the he's not the mayor of the trailer park, uh, but but there's some hunters right. there's some hunters and anglers out there that are great people that provide value to the landscape, but they should not be the spokesperson to turn around and go talk to a bunch of people, and then set people off. Because we yeah. get enough of those, and that's going to be exactly what happened during the Wolf campaign, where we didn't talk to the right people with the right message in the right places that showed benefit or repercussions or ramifications to them. We didn't talk to them enough. And I think that that's what we're going to change in this in this whole concept is we're going yeah. to talk to those people, and we're going to do it through a variety of different mechanisms. We're going to activate uh, an army like you've never seen, and, and some of it might be uh, outside the box. 
But yeah. the plans and strategies that we put in place through the legal team and through the strategy c- campaign professionals, um, if we don't win, it's not for a lack of trying. It's not for a lack of strategy. It's because Colorado has changed so dramatically that there'll be no turning back. I think we can win. Um, how do you pay for all this? Because at, at some point, hunters in Florida that want to go to Colorado someday to hunt mule deer and elk, hunters in Oklahoma, California, Washington State, Belize, <laughs> Iran. He just said 58%, um, you know, 58% of the of the funding comes from non-residents non-residents so 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 this is this is an attack on this is an attack on big game hunting in colorado across the board and really it's an attack on wildlife management because if if non-resident hunters check out because of the you know depletion of of game species to some degree um you know thousands of lion hunters aren't going to travel to colorado like the budgets are going to start getting tight so how do we get or is it needed? This is to me. This is a national effort. To me, this is people nationwide have skin in the game here. Um, and my guess is your budgets are 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 big and just going to get bigger or need to get bigger to make these communications precise and effective uh, to that voting audience. Uh, what's like? Where where are you there? And and how does how do how do we get the communities um, across all of the hunting and angling communities to, to to rally and support? So first, I'd like to address the fact that we are not a membership organization. Mm-hmm. We don't give you a magazine. We don't have free knives. We don't have specials on you know duffel bags and stuff. No dinners. No dinners. Okay. Uh, and when we were formulated as a C four, we thought that we could do this just by mere pure and mere contributions, donations. And we've got significant buy-in from, from, from individuals and NGOs that, that wanted some sort of representation. And the caveat to that was we were able to supply that lobbying representation at the Colorado state Capitol. This is what we have. And while our budget was minimal to start with, then we started kicking out some education videos and some stuff about, about the North American model, about who CRWM was and, you know, shows about the science-based wildlife management. We've done network television commercials throughout the state, and that's g- generated a little bit of following to where people said, "I, you know, that's that's pretty cool. I'd, I'd like to be able to contribute to that. And, and even when we went through the Parks and Wildlife Commission or the legislature, people thought there was value in what we were trying to provide. So they were willing to provide, you know, a, a little bit of a stipend, a donation, a contribution. Mm-hmm. Uh, this is a different, this is a different egg to crack here. Uh I mean, we're talking somewhere in the neighborhood of of probably minimally four to five million dollars to be able to to stay in the game, punch for punch, tit for tat. Yep. Uh, if we're if we're far less than that, we're going to put up a hell of a fight, and uh, we'll still be the underdog. But if we can match them for what they're going to do, look, we're fighting for the same audience. It's mm-hmm. it's whether that audience is going to listen to their message or our message. Uh, that message is going to be driven from. From roughly El Paso County and Colorado Springs all the way to Fort Collins, 25 miles east or west of the I-25 corridor and about nine counties in Colorado. There's 64 counties, but nine of them are probably likely to drive this to our favor or to the opposition's favor. That assumes all the hunters get out and vote, too. That's a, that's a key component of that. And to, the, and to that point, and I could, I could go off a, a rabbit hole at every single level of this, but 
In 2020, there was 133,000 registered Republicans in the state of Colorado that didn't vote. There's about 65,000 registered Democrats in the state of Colorado that didn't vote. Right. If all of them came out and voted, we would have won the wolf deal by a margin if if they would have voted our direction. Now, there's political no lines. That, yeah. Okay. But if you just went political lines, but they had 133,000 that didn't vote. Yeah. Uh, what we do the next steps to make sure that we that we do what we do, how we do it, and when we do it so meticulously yep. to where when we, when we come out of this, and Charles and I have talked about this before, when we are victorious on November 5th, that we didn't just win. No. We set a, we set a playbook. We created a roadmap. We created the new McNally roadmap of what we do to defeat these bastards at every single level. And I'm not just talking about here in Colorado. Yep. I'm talking about in the West where, where this, these, these issues are more prominent because we got more big game species. And that seems to be, you know, the subject, man, nobody's trying to ban the harvest of skunks. Nobody's trying to ban the harvest of weasels. Nobody's trying to ban the harvest of coyotes that that's down the road when they get rid of all the other stuff and they don't have anything else to turn around and take. Yeah. But it's the big stuff. It's the carnivores. It's the apex predators. And then if you want to start and look at what they've done in the past seven months, articles in the Colorado sun, Tris Zornio turns around and kicks an article out and says, why are bighorn sheep any different than mountain lions? Mm-hmm. They're already talking and setting the tone and the narrative right. for where they're going to go next. And I guarantee if they're, if they're successful at this, It'll be lions, yeah. then they'll go to bears, then they'll yep. do some other fur bears, and then they're going to start knocking some of these other species off. And before I, before I turn it over to you, Charles, I see you pointing. No, the I'm definition just... yeah. of trophy hunting in these measures, both of these measures, we're talking about bobcats and mountain lions, but the definition of trophy hunting is to intentionally kill, wound, pursue, stalk, and entrap a mountain it's lion hunting. bobcat or It's just hunting. It's just hunting. Like, it's just hunting. They're, they're, they're trying to equate the two at that level. If you read well, they, 101, yeah. if, you look at the, if you look at the 101 measures, it specifically says that you can't stalk, chase, or pursue. Well, if they got a two-week season and you can't use hounds, what the hell are you supposed to do if you can't chase, stalk, or pursue? It's a hunting ban. Trip over one. No, the other reason to be pointing. successful here. Go ahead, Charles. I was just pointing because I knew where you were going. Yeah, you're right. On. I was going to ask you about the trophy language. Does yeah. that is that just limited to mountain lions and bobcats? And you just answered it. No, no, no. And that's why every that's why every every sportsman and woman, every state, every avocational take whether whether you're a muzzleloader hunter or archery hunter, whether you like to hunt upland bird dog or upland bird game with dogs, dogs. They're trying to take dogs away here. They've yep. already said on a hot mic. Our goal is to turn around and not utilize dogs to be able to pursue game. This sets a precedent in Colorado to where it's easily recognizable for any other state, whether it's a commission or a legislature or the ballot initiative in another state, to be able to say, look, Colorado did it. They've got it in their statute. This is trophy hunting. You can't do this there. It sets a precedent in game management regulations to the point to where, you know, sky's the limit. You yeah. open the door and they will take what they can. And if they find out that they took it easily, they'll turn around and double down and go to another state and turn around and try to get something that, that is people tell us all the time. Well, it's not coming here. I'm like, yeah, it is. It is. Yeah, though, it is. And, and that's why this is a nationwide issue. This is why, and it's why anybody that is, 
involved in any form of hunting wildlife management formally acknowledges that that conservation has been successful in the last hundred years for the reasons that we know um like we've got to be involved at that level and it's also like the the, the messaging that wins this is we're going to win the messaging that gets the non that non-hunting public to to vote in favor of supporting hunting vote against the ballot initiative is the same you know principles and messaging that is going to be needed to support wolf management in colorado someday like so this isn't this is not a this is not a single issue this is an everything hunting everything wildlife management everything conservation issue um and and it's it's foundational like it's an absolute it's absolutely foundational to to being able to continue and 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 if, and if we're not in a reactive state like we are right now to actually put forth proactive initiatives like washington state's legislation apparently just came out recently where they're the right introducing the the right to hunt like if we're not on our heels always reacting to negative issues and attacks like there are some proactive things that can be done and so another reason why we need to win in this well and 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 i, I gotta say too we have a proven model mm-hmm. we have the north american model and to mm-hmm. to the to the unknowing general public the north american model necessarily it, it was created over 140 years ago but it wasn't really codified until valerius geist and Shane Mahoney and John Oregon actually, you know, wrote it and put made words it. to it. Yeah, yeah put words and, and to what it. it is. But but it, but it was it started, you know, under the under the Roosevelt era and mm-hmm. and before that through Grinnell and Pinchot and Hornaday and Audubon and Roosevelt. All we're trying to do is 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 hold the line on that. We have the proven model. Legislation yep. since since the early 1900s has has federal legislation has allowed us to be able to do what we're doing today. We have game management agencies that provide a plethora of opportunities, recreational opportunities, whether you whether you want to bird watch, whether you want to wildlife watch, whether you want to pursue game. We, we have the best model on the planet. Yeah. The opposition, what's their replacement? They don't, they don't have, have anything except just, for no. Just, just take people, just pe- take people out of the landscape. Yeah. And they and they dismiss the idea that humans are part of the landscape, but we have been. Like the idea that humans are not part of the natural world is 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 very novel and new and, and it's insane i think like we didn't get planted here um by aliens 80 years ago i i kind of dumb it down north america i i just i like to say like to to people that are, don't know there's a system of regulated hunting that has generated success for dozens of species and and it, so, so yeah we've got to convey that um you guys need money. So CRWN, no membership, no no beer dinners, no no game dinners, whatever. Um, you fundraise. You you've you've been able to fundraise kind of ad hoc, with when people f- see favor to it. But at this point, there's an immediate need, with tactical and strategic initiatives to execute between now and November. Um, and and because you're a C4, you can do these things which C3s can't do, as I understand. And so is, is the best way for somebody to, to support you just going to the website and directly offering, offering funds or, or sending funds? Like what are the mechanisms that people can use to get, get resources to you? That's, that's been the primary mechanism so far. And what I would 
I would like to say and, and give it give some kudos out to the to the community, uh, the broad based community. We mm -hmm. as of as of Monday, we've received donations and contributions from forty seven individual states uh, on the That's website. Awesome. Yeah, that's amazing, and, and and multiple Canadian provinces and states people stationed overseas. Yeah, yeah, which three states are missing? We're gonna go there. <laughs> We're driving. We'll be there. Uh, and uh, and and well, Illinois and Hawaii are two of them. So uh, and and the, and the other one is there's hunters in those states. <laughs> yeah, and and so we're we're doing a plea and a call to action out. But you know, you with, without without the you know, biting my tongue here. I mean, we we got a we got a check sent to us today. My wife called me and I was out checking traps and 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 she was ecstatic. And she's like, just, just guess what we got in the freaking mail. Just guess what we got in the freaking mail. And I, I said, what? She says, we got a check for a hundred thousand dollars. That's phenomenal. She said, that is amazing. she said, I'm I'm afraid to hold it in the wind. The wind was blowing like hell in Canyon. I'm afraid to hold it. Should I go deposit it now? I said, well go home and take a photocopy of it to where yeah. we got the record of it and everything. But we got a check for a hundred thousand dollars, and that was a check that's sent to the post office box. That's not through the website. And what I would like to to explain is that we're averaging about twelve to twenty five donations a day on the website. Okay, but we're getting about a half a dozen or more every day through the post office box. Now, the ones through the post office box have a tendency to be a little bit bigger, a little sure. bit uh, more gracious uh, donations, but We've had people on the website donate $10,000. We've had people on the website donate $5,000. And yeah. what's interesting is the new program that we got on the website that I got to give kudos out to Will Morecore with Davis Tim because he's helping us out significantly. And he's 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 a, he's a money guy. He's a brain guy. And he's a hell of a lot more astute at the internet side of things than what I'll ever be. Uh, but he got us set up on this, this uh, uh, donation component of the website. And people... Overwhelmingly, like 95, 98% of the people that are donating are paying the credit card fee. Got it. Nice. So, so if they donate a thousand dollars or then it's a, a thousand thirty. They don't yep. want us to pay it. They want to pay it because they see the value in it to be able to turn around and, and put money into this pot. And and some of the outside work that we've already accomplished, and I got I gotta give kudos out to guys like you. You know, I was I've been fortunate enough to be on the Ranella Live podcast, and I've been mm -hmm. fortunate enough to be on you know Robbie Kroger's Blood Origins podcast, and and Chris Powell with Houndsman XP, and 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 I mean literally probably better than thirty podcasts. And today I got you know inquiries about what I can do in the next month at different levels, and you guys yeah are a major component of that. But just the enthusiasm on the landscape, I was I was on with Aaron Snyder with Kafaro yesterday morning. Uh, Jonathan Redbeard with Redbeard Podcast reached out. I mean, uh, the Rockcast. I was I, it's a place that I didn't even know existed. But what we're seeing is when you guys are doing this sort of outreach, which we're so gracious to that. Yeah, you guys are doing this sort of outreach within twelve to twenty-four hours. We see the donations just go up exponentially because people are like, "Well, I need to get involved in that." I didn't realize yeah. it was that bad. I didn't know that was going on. The severity of the issue, the fragility, and the the volatility of the landscape, people are starting to recognize, and it's starting to grow. About how do we stop this? We yep. build an army, and how do you build an army? You have to fund it, and how do you fund it? Yep. People that care about building the army to stop the assault have to be able to help fund it. The industry is coming out. Charles, you guys are part of this conversation. The industry itself, the the 
the manufacturing industry, the, the retail, the wholesale industry is coming out. This is monumental, not just for Colorado, but I think Good. for the Western United States. But to get the general public involved to buy into this, we're either going to win with everybody or yep. we're going to lose with everybody. But nobody's going to be able to turn around and sit and point fingers at each other and go, well, they didn't do this or they didn't do that because we are leaving no stone unturned and we are doing every single thing that was within our power and with our in our grasp to make sure that we come out of here. And when they're when we're done with this, they look at us and go, what the hell happened there? We yeah. need to go to another state and we'll, well be in a day there. of five dollar coffees and hundred dollar boxes of ammo and hundred and fifty dollar tanks of gas. Um, if every non-resident tag sold last year in Colorado equated to a hundred dollar donation, you'd have three or $4 million. Yep. And, um, I think, I think that's, I think that's the thing is we all have to kick down. We all, we all need to kick down a hundred bucks. Um, it, it's not even a tank of gas in my truck and, or and surely not in yours, um, at least in California. And so I think that's, I think that's the call. I think that's the call is that at an individual level, I know there's going to be some big donations. There's going to be more six figure donations, I'm sure, mm -hmm. but that's at the individual level. Um, I've got points in Colorado that I've been accruing with the intent of going. And when I feel like I'm, I'm physically, mentally and skill skill set ready to actually chase elk or mule deer in Colorado, I will. Um, and so it's on me. Like I need as a, as a future non-resident hunter coming from California to Colorado, it's on me to, to support this directly. And I think it's on every, every hunter in the U S to do the same. Um, because winning here isn't just about mountain lions. It's not just about hounding. It's not just about bobcats. It's, it's about big game hunting and, and really about, you know, a system of regulated hunting that works for critters on the landscape and, it's, and, our, it's and, a, and, and opportunity. It's about them defining what hunting is. Yeah. It's about them setting the tone and the narrative. It's about them making their point and us not providing any 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 feedback or any backlash yep. intentionally killing wounding pursuing stalking or entrapping <laughs> yeah, you, it's crazy. you know uh quail you know bighorn sheep coyotes you know i mean hell at that matter you could get into fishing if you really want to look at what i talked about with the gal with the with the birds of prey educator sure uh, i mean you know, that, that could be, that could be thrown into her category as well. Yeah. There's yeah. So obviously this, is, we, we've talked almost 90 minutes now. Um, and thank you for that and giving us like the full, like the full story from multiple angles and, and, and the background and everything. My, I know you're getting requests a lot daily, like what's happening. And we see, we see articles come out that sometimes or, or commentary come out that sometimes it's a little off the mark from true or real because it's hard to get all the facts in one place. And so my hope with this is that we can check in, you know, if not weekly for 20, 30 minutes, then, then at least maybe every other week. So we've got a cadence where we can continually update the audience and update the community with, with where you are on it, what's happened, what's happening and what's neat, what's going to happen. Um, because that way, we, that way we can really, we can stay on top of it and and not get off track <laughs> with 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 too much energy going the wrong direction. One thing, I, the one thing I want to a thing that I want to say, not one thing, but a thing I want to say is the general public needs to be very patient mm -hmm. in the process of this. It's not like we're dragging our feet 
we're looking at things from a 30,000 foot level right now because of the legal processes. We are in the Supreme Court. Uh, mm -hmm. This is not the Donald Trump case. They're not going to expedite this just on somebody's behalf over Bobcats and Mountain Lions. I'll tell you that. Right. But as we move through this process and go through the, the weeds over the course of the next seven or eight months, you're going to see some escalation on both sides. And then once August, September, and October hit, yep. I mean, you're going to turn around and see people running every different direction and pointing fingers and trying to figure out how you get people engaged because you've got that small window of opportunity. And as soon as those mail-in ballots start on October 5th, then you've got the last 30 days from October 5th to November 5th. Mm -hmm. And it'll, it'll be like the Oklahoma land rush at that point. Right. Uh, but you will, need the money now. So you yes. know, so you and the strategy yes. team know how much you can spend. Like if, well, if you, if you go into let's light this thing up and there's only 2 million and 3 millions in the mail, you can't bought do ad buys and you can't do strategy planning based on 5 million because you only see 2 million. So you, we need to fund this now. So you yep. and the team know what kind of ammo you have in, in the, in, in the battery, you know, that you can go to. Well, and and this is a presidential election year. So ad buys are more expensive. 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 And so anything that we can anything that we can lock up before April or May is in mm -hmm. our best interest because the primaries haven't happened on the on the political side. So mm -hmm. nobody's really knowing what they're gonna do. Nobody's gonna they might lock something up, but they won't be able to pay for it. But mm -hmm. nobody's gonna be able to turn around and say, I want this, this, and this, and this, if they're not even past the primary yet. We don't have to worry about the primary. We know that we're gonna have to be on the ballot. We'd like to be able to turn around and say, let's buy something now that would cost us four times as much in September, October. Right. Because if we wait until August, it'll be that four times as much. And, and yeah. so that's why we're trying to appropriately plan, budget, strategize, and lay out our plan of attack to where we know what we can afford to do, but also where we need to go and how we need to accomplish it. There's a million things that... I could talk about. Um, I do want to go back to one thing that they're um, the anti hunters are are um, are saying is that mountain lion meat is inedible. That we aren't eating it. Dan, tell us about the laws first of all in in Colorado right now about about taking uh, meat um, edible meat off of off of game. So mountain lions are classified as big game in Colorado. And out of all the big game species that we have, all meat that is harvested off a of big game has to be prepared for human consumption. And, and that seems like a task to somebody that doesn't actually eat meat or big game meat. Uh, it's easy for somebody to say, nobody eats that. Yeah, but those people don't eat meat, period. And, and so it's required by law. If you don't, harvest that meat off of the animal, then you could be charged with wanton waste or waste of game. And you could be charged with felonies uh, or con convictions that would prohibit you from being able to harvest any other game, not only just in this state, but in 40 some odd other states. Uh, their, their provision that they want to do in initiative 101 is to allow people to hunt and you have to take the, the game meat but you can't keep any of the other parts. Well, we're already forced to take, to, to take the game meat on big game. Now, bobcats are different because they fall under a, a fur bearer classification. 
and and so but there's a lot of people that eat bobcats bobcat is just a small mountain lion it's a feline i mean people yeah. mm-hmm. people find that as a as a delicacy yeah. uh you we, we argued this during the first title hearing on initiative 91 you can find recipes all over the place. I mean, talk to Steve Ranella and see what they do for, for eating stuff. Talk to, to Bear Grylls and see what they do for eating stuff. Those are the publicity side of things. But there's a lot of people that harvest bobcat and mountain lion. And for nobody that's ever eaten it, mm-hmm. you should try it because you would find it that you would probably want to eat it more often. Yeah, um, we we ran a campaign. I think it was in August. Um for people to send in their mountain lion uh, recipes and, and pictures of that. And I, I think we have thousands of those. Yeah. It's, it's unreal. Yeah. And, and, and so many people say, we're not just eating it. This is actually our favorite wild game is mountain lion. Mm-hmm. And it's just interesting, interesting to me that one of the main talking points from cats aren't trophies is uh, that mountain lion meat isn't, isn't edible inedible it's not even like it's not good it's like they're saying it's inedible and so they can't win on they can't win on truths so they're gonna spin lies um it's infuriating it's infuriating so one of the things that i think we need to cover because it just happened today and yesterday or whatever and i've got 85 messages and somebody just sent it to me um again uh there are i want you to address so there's articles out multiple articles about um, Colorado losing mountain lion hunting in the month of April. Um, And the reactions and the comments to this have been pretty wild. Can you just tell us what happened? You were there at the commission meeting. I I was at the commission meeting and and I helped, I helped originally establish the April season back in 2020 as 2014 and, and actually advocated for a dismissal of that season uh, most recently. And, and so the, the structure of that season was established back in you know, 10, 11 years ago in specific game management areas for mountain lion harvest, mostly east of I-25 because it's the Eastern Plains and Canyon country. And they weren't getting much harvest there. And they thought that they could try to get more because that area typically gets snow more often in March and April. And they weren't meeting their objectives and their models at the time. So they established a season, which then in turn went to a few other geographical areas. But keep in mind, out of the 600 or so lions that are on the quota for Colorado Parks and Wildlife statewide, the way we divide things up is each game management unit has a quota of lions that can be harvested out of there. It might be 30, it might be 12, it might be eight or whatever. And then there's a male to female ratio about when that quota would be shut down for that game management unit. What happened on the April season was in 2022, or maybe 23 and then 22, there was two mountain lions harvested statewide in those in that month of April. But that wasn't a statewide season. It was in specific geographical areas where they were trying to match or meet their objectives and their quotas for management. So they harvested two in 22 and then two in 23 or vice versa, 22 and 21. Uh, but but they harvested two lions. The administrative component, the, the facilitation of trying to, to trying to do another season, and I'll explain this in, in a second, and I'm sorry to drag this out, but to try to drag, to try to, to try to administrate this, it caused 
not only confusion, but printing components because of the, the brochures that are kicked out. Because in Colorado, we don't go from January 1st to December 31st. Our seasons go from April 1st, or at least the calendar year, April 1st until March 31st of the next year. That's the way our seasons are laid out. What they did is they established an April season because it starts after March. So the April season actually started April 1st and then went through March 31st of the next year. But only in specific areas was it allowed for people to hunt in the month of April. But that April season, which was essentially a separate season, but in the next calendar year, they still had to buy a license for it. So anybody that got done harvesting lions or chasing lions or pursuing lions or whatever you want to call it in March, then could turn around in specific areas and go out and buy a license for the next calendar year, which then incorporated the entire season from April 1st through March 31st, even though that season was only open for specific areas during the month of April. It wasn't cost-effective. It wasn't providing their objectives and bring, bringing anything to the table that would be a benefit from a management perspective. The timing probably wasn't the best, and some people were using that saying, oh, look, they took it away, and they're, they're kowtowing to the, to the antis. Well, if you look at the electronic calling component of that same discussion that was done, there was electronic calls that were allowed in specific game management areas for mountain lions, for a short period of time to hopefully re resolve some human-animal conflicts because of high density of human populations, and there's no way to run hounds in those areas. And we can't mm -hmm. trap lions in this state because they're a big game animal. So they utilized the electronic calls as a tool in the toolbox for a specific area, for a specific time, and that didn't provide enough benefit to the model and the objectives of the res resolution of human-animal conflict, and so I think the numbers were 486 lions and three of them were harvested in those areas with an electronic call. 486 statewide, three out of those areas. And out of the statewide, two were harvested in the April season. If you really want to split the hairs, you're talking about five lions in specific geographical areas over the month of April. And that's what they ended up getting rid of. And the antis are claiming a victory that they're, they're kowtowing to them and look they're, we're making headway and we could get this accomplished because they got rid of the april season and they got rid of electronic calls because right. a 198 lions were harvested in a month well 198 lions were harvested in a month at the beginning of the season yeah that opened up in november for the first month of november to december 198 lions were harvested but the statewide quota is in the 670 range. And if you quantify that out for January, February, and March, you would probably be somewhere in the neighborhood of around 500 or 550 lions on the top end that are going to be harvested during the 2023-2024 mountain lion season. So, so the anti-hunters manipulate the data, extract it the way they want to spin it to create their own campaign funding machine. And it's basically not remotely close to like impact and effort, but they're, they, they manipulate this as their rhetoric, not just to the non-hunting public, but also to their funding mechanism, their, their industry feed. 
and and then it, when we see that we're like oh no this happened when really what you're saying is like the impact here was one percent of take might be affected and it's not that big a deal no. and it was more of an administrative adjustment to the data and reality um and this is not a win that the anti-hunters technically can claim because it's it's not a win it's just process it's science and we shouldn't the, the thing is we we need to be careful to not collectively always respond to whatever bullshit the anti-hunters are spewing because it's often just bs it's often lies it's often rhetoric it's often uh obfuscated truth and and manipulated information that they use all the time no matter who their audience is so we shouldn't be so we shouldn't be overly reactive to what they are saying no and, it, and as i said earlier it's science needs to be adaptive and they need yeah. to be nimble for a variety yeah. of different reasons if something doesn't work maybe they try something different if it does work maybe they enhance that opportunity but look this is something that is driven by a specific game management unit and a whole lion unit that has multiple game management units within the lion unit itself. And it's managed for the, for the benefit of the health of the population of lions. Just because you have a beautiful lawn doesn't mean you need to know how many blades of grass that you have in it. <laughs> There's an opportunity there for people to take the science, take the facts, take the data, take the statistics, Look at the look at what happened this year, last year, the year before in this ten year study, that nine year study, the fifteen year study. Mm -hmm. Put it all together, we've got more lions now in the state of Colorado. We've got more bobcats now in the state of Colorado than what we had 40, 50, 60 years ago. Until nineteen sixty five, mountain lions were considered a nuisance. They were they were they were probably right. on the verge of extirpation because they didn't have regulated harvest because they didn't have game laws that went along with them. 1965, they made them a big game species. Lo and behold, freaking 60 years later, a lot of them five there. or 6,000 of them on the landscape, and that's right. still not enough for the antis. And they yeah. don't want any to offtake, no matter what the number is. They want to make sure that it's zero, and they want to make sure they confuse the general public, and they want to make sure that they lie when they have to lie, and they deceive when they have to deceive. Well, we'll never be zero because there will be government people that, that can kill them and that doesn't get any headlines and they don't ever put attention on that. They just want hunters. They want humans to not be able to go out and do this as, as yeah. an activity that is that is self-sustaining. And, and that's the thing. Like, There's a regulated system of hunting that has brought mountain lions while being hunted from hundreds in the state of Colorado to thousands. To thousands. And if you want mountain lions to thrive in the state of colorado keep doing what we're doing mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. maintain a system of regulated hunting and the critters will be more successful there's a there's a deal and you guys can maybe figure out i'm not smart enough to do it because you guys just got me my headphones here and then i was barely smart enough to figure that crap out but if you can provide the link during this podcast that that goes to the the presentation that was done at Colorado Parks and Wildlife on January 11th about the mountain lion presentation from Mark Vieira and provide okay. that in there that that was the best well produced presentation now the audio is a little iffy on part of it just because of the 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 technical technological glitches that they had but if you sit and listen to it you can see the graphs you can see the di the data the diagrams all the mm -hmm. stuff that's there the facts 
they put such a formidable presentation together. And what really pisses me off is that the reporters that were either there or that were listening to that did not cite anything out of that data, out of those studies, out of the compilation of information. They didn't cite anything when it came to providing the facts. They attempted to try to, to brush over the, yeah. the, the good stuff and concentrate on the sensationalized stuff that, that was going to get, you know, pull at the heartstrings, the emotion, the drama. Right. And uh, that, that was the best presentation that I have seen on Mountain Lions or Bobcats as a whole. And if somebody wanted to stay on there long enough, they can see the Bobcat presentation that was done by Shane Frank at the end of that as well. Yeah, we'll see if we can pull from that and, and yeah, absolutely can, link it. We can definitely get to that. And for that segment right there, I'm going to specifically edit that and put that on uh, put that on Instagram to, to just uh, educate everybody on what really happened there. Um, let's wrap this up because we're going to do we're going to do, I don't know if it's every week, but certainly at a regular cadence, we're going to do yep. five minutes with Dan. So we get enough. Is that possible? Is that possible? <laughs> That's, we'll call it that. It's like the Monday <laughs> minute. It's yeah. 37 five minutes. minutes. Five minutes time goes Dan. forever. Right. <laughs> 45 <laughs> minutes. But just a weekly update on what's going on to keep people up to date. And that can be on what's going on with this, with this ballot initiative. That can be what's going on at the commission. It can be whatever's going on in Colorado that, that you want people to know. Um, because, uh, information is um is powerful and everybody needs it and uh, I, I feel like when there's a gap in, of information people just start making up all kinds of stuff so yeah we're gonna do that um for people listening if you want to get involved go to save the hunt colorado.com you can read about what's going on there you can donate whatever you can to uh to the mission like dan said you can also mail in the 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 checks i know there's there's an address given on the on the website you can pay for the processing fee if if you're if you can um so you can ensure that your full amount is going to to crwm and um we're going to keep you updated this was uh almost two hours here and i think we covered a, a whole bunch of stuff there's so many things we could we could dive in and into and talk about but i think this is a good this is a good start do you guys have any final thoughts, Mike? No, we're gonna win. We're gonna we're gonna win in a way that 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 puts fear in the uh, in the anti hunting industry. Um, it's not gonna be easy. It's not gonna be cheap. But we're gonna pull together uh, a nationwide coalition of grassroots and organizations and get this thing funded and fought and and it's gonna change things. So that's what we're gonna do. I think that uh, based upon the optimism and enthusiasm that we've seen over the course of the last four months and knowing the victories that we've been successful on over the course of the last six years, that we are on the brink of seeing something that is so admirable and so remarkable that I want to make sure that everybody, whether they contribute or not, is a part of it because they talked to somebody, because they mm -hmm. educated somebody. Donations would be fantastic to help us pull this off and get us across the finish line. But when it really comes down to it, stop and think and look in the mirror and find what you do and how that could be attacked by somebody else. And what would it take for you to get engaged when somebody came knocking on your door 
to turn around and try to take it, whether it's whether it's shotguns, whether it's electronic collars on dogs, whether it's hunting bighorn sheep or alligator hunting. Mm-hmm. Find out what's important to you because they're going to come. And if if you think that they're not, look in the mirror, look to see what's going on in your state, in your area. And I can just tell you, I want everybody to be part of the success party when this is done and over with. I want all these podcasts to turn around and go, look what we did to help yeah. Colorado. Look what we did to save the hunt, Colorado. Look what we did for the future in perpetuity for science-based wildlife management and the North American model of wildlife management. I think it's doable. I think that we've started a, a, a fire under people's asses, and I think that they're willing to turn around and bring their own kerosene and more matches. And and so I look forward to working with you guys. I look forward to working with the community. And uh, I would just encourage everybody to, you know, pull their bootstraps up and, and figure out what they can do because it's going to come there. And we'd be more than happy to help build that roadmap and that playbook to where, it, to where it, everybody else, every other state can capitalize on it. And uh, I'm, I'm just looking forward to, I'm looking forward to getting it done and over with. Cause I've, I've got about 80 to a hundred hours a week in this stuff right now. And it's only going to get worse, but uh, we're not going to lose. And uh, I want to see the look on their faces on the morning of November 6th and they go, Holy crap. What buzzsaw yep. did we run into? So I appreciate you guys appreciate your, your work that you're doing on this stuff and appreciate all your help. Look forward to working with you. And uh, as I always say at the end of everything, stay the course and save, save the hunt, Colorado.com. Thank you so much to Dan Gates with Coloradans for responsible wildlife management. And, uh, we took about two hours there almost to, to really unpack what the history is um, with this attack on hunting in Colorado, specifically focused on mountain lion hunting, bobcat hunting right now. But really, it's it's an overall attack um, and it's it's a nationwide initiative and strategy executed by the anti-hunting industry, animal rights extremists and really some fringe groups that that are funded and organized to to take away hunting and they're chipping away currently chipping away at the at uh, the foundation with this attack on mountain lion hunting colorado we as a as a community um cannot sit back and say wow that really sucks for colorado because we're all hunters anglers are in this as well Heck, even recreationalists that just like to go into the mountains and, and participate on public land are in this because they're coming after that as well at some point. So let's all rally together. Um, go to SaveTheHuntColorado.com and think about how much money you would spend if you went there for a non-resident hunt. Think about what kind of investments we make in time and focus and energy and fuel and clothes and gear and everything and so what is a good investment to putting the anti-hunting industry back into a box and back on their heels and saving this opportunity saving wildlife management with hunting as a primary mechanism at the core of its success what's it what's it worth to you to do this here this year in 2024 where we can then start to build a foundation to yield proactive results as well as reactive results 
So whether it's the cost of a box of ammo, cost of a box, of, a, a, a tank of gas, um, the cost of a non-resident tag, think about what you can invest in this and let's get Dan Gates and CRWM and the strategy team that has been put together to execute this uh, campaign over the next eight, nine months. Um, let's get them funded so that we win. And then after we've got them funded, let's pull together a grassroots coalition of individuals and organizations nationwide that rally with the messaging and the communications necessary to really have that non-hunting public informed with the truth about hunting, the truth about conservation, and the truth about uh, this, what I think is intrinsically human and humane. And um, hunting as we know it puts more critters on the landscape. So let's all rally as individuals as well. So please save the hunt Colorado.com make a donation, stay informed, go to healthforwildlife.org and become a member if you're not already. And then um, we'll keep you updated and informed on what's going on as this campaign unfolds. And I thank you very much for your time and your attention, your passion, your commitment. And we are going to win this. This is not going to be a loser. This is not going to be a lost opportunity. This is not going to be a check mark on the hunting history in North America where we say we lost something. We're going to win this deal and we're going to do it together. So um, I'm glad that you're here and participating with us. Save the hunt, Colorado.